What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 187 of Misfits and Rejects. Today's episode, I spoke with Ronnie Teja from Branzio.com. Ronnie's got a really cool story. Ronnie grew up in Mumbai, India, and as an adult, got the opportunity to move to Canada. When he got to Canada, he took advantage of multiple different opportunities that kind of helped develop some skill sets that he then took into the online space and now has a multi-online business portfolio, 15 different companies that are all run remotely online. Ronnie is an extremely energetic, fun person to talk to. I had a great conversation with him. And one thing that stood out in this conversation that has come up in the past, and I'm starting to see a pattern, is that once you start to learn what works online, you can apply a lot of those marketing skills and advertising skills into different sectors and get a similar result. And Ronnie's done that. He has a formula that works really well for him and he finds brands and opportunities and businesses that he can acquire online that then applies that same sort of formula and gets a good result. Now, it's not always the exact same. Obviously, you have to be able to adjust and adapt, but Ronnie and many others talk about this. Once you kind of get the gist of it, you can then apply this formula to certain types of businesses and have a very nice portfolio of businesses that are all generating income for you. So I hope this inspires you as much as it inspired me. Please, if you're a first-time listener, pull out that phone and hit the subscribe button. That really helps me in the ratings of iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're listening to this on. It helps people find me a lot easier through you just subscribing, hitting the like button, maybe leaving a comment or just rating Misfits and Rejects. And if you are a first-time listener, just so you know, Misfits and Rejects launches every single Monday, so you can get ready for that. A new episode will come out every single Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. And if you like what you hear, Ronnie, I sure would appreciate it if you shared it. So thank you for joining us. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Ronnie Teja from Branzio.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Ronnie Teja from Branzio.com. Ronnie, welcome to the show. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm great, dude. Love to hear your voice. You're, it's, uh, you're in Bangkok right now. Morning time for you. I can hear that enthusiasm, that excitement, which uh, Bangkok brings to me whenever I'm there. Like, I love that city. How do you feel about it? I love it. We, we were supposed to be only here for about four to five months, and we decided to stick around for the whole year. So quite quite excited to be in Bangkok, move to a new apartment, loving the area that we're staying in. It's not near Sukhumvit or any one of the, you know, the, the usual areas that most people go to. So we're staying in a different place called Sathon, which is a, a little more greener. It's next to Limpini Park and all, this, all that. So, you know, it's a bigger apartment, overlooks the park. And, you know, in general, you know, Bangkok's a city of conveniences as well, right? So you can have, you know, you could be in a... In a, in, a, in a nice corner, in a nice high rise, and you could be at the at the wet market, which is about you know maybe like a ten minute walk from where we where we stay, uh, you know, in, in a matter in a matter of minutes. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with that area you just mentioned. I mean, I I've been through it. I know the wet market you speak of. Um, why the choice to stay for a whole year? Are you staying with uh, a loved one or be a friend or? Yeah, my partner, my partner. So we've been we've been yeah we've been together for about three years. So. 
the reason uh, the reason why we decided to st- stick around here for a bit longer was the idea the idea as 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 I got older was the fact that uh, you know and I'm about 35 the idea was to actually have a, uh, have a couple of bases around so maybe have a base in Europe Porto uh, preferably or Berlin have a, have a base in you know uh, in Asia uh, and then have a base at my hometown which is Vancouver and uh, the thought process behind it was that you know when i when i travel too much or when i keep traveling week to week or every two weeks it's hard to get into a routine so that routine could in, uh, mean going you know getting to the gym getting to the work and all and you know maybe where you're staying so you want to be comfortable with the surroundings and for me like i'm a big squash player so you know my squash club so all these three places that i'm mentioning all have a very lively squash scene so so that was also quite important into the whole mix that's rad, dude. I've never spoken to anybody aside from my father who plays squash, and it sounds like you're fairly competitive or uh, very enthusiastic about it. Oh, yeah. Most squash players are. <laughs> <laughs> Most squash players drink a bunch of beers and they go play squash, basically. <laughs> That's awesome. So you mentioned uh, in Europe, where's a big squash hub? You said Berlin, or what did I say here, Porto? Yeah, Porto is okay, but yeah, Berlin. Berlin's big, but the, but the biggest one that I've actually been to is uh, Poland in general as a country extremely big so uh, you know last year uh, we were living in berlin and we took the train down to bratswav uh, which has the largest squash facility in the world so it has about 32 squash courts in one place and this year uh, you know if the covid uh, issue hadn't happened they were actually going to host the world masters uh, at this particular uh, polish club wow how do you do you rank i mean are you somebody who's that competitive where you like no, no i'm not no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that good at all. Uh, in my in my club, I'd be probably like top five. That's that's how I look at it. Okay. Okay. That's cool, man. So, um, yeah, it sounds like like many of us, you're you're trying to design that life of um, you know having locations around the world that you can frequent, as well as have a few home bases that you can stick around and kind of get a, a more normal routine. I just actually got off the phone with uh, Emil Goliath. You know that guy in the DC? Oh yeah, he's. Emil, Emil, Emil's one of the nicest people I ever know. He's, he's, he's definitely, I love, I love his story of, you know, how he, you know, he used to be, he used to be a, a big, he used to be on the bigger side, I guess. And then he's changed his whole life to being like a doctor and, you know, where he is. And he's, I think, 115 kilos, 116 kilos. And he's just spread like a bloody brick. Oh, yeah. And like you said, the most gentle, lovable human being, just just such a sweetheart of a man and willing to help anybody who's interested in, in changing their life, which, you know, really came across in our episode. Um, as far as your life and, and the things that you've done to kind of get to where you're at, can you give us a little bit of background on you, where you come from and, and kind of, you know, your story? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So my, my, my backstory is I, I immigrated to Canada as an adult. So I'm an adult immigrant to Canada. So I, uh, my mother... And I was a principal applicant uh, for an application to for an uh, you know to to move to Canada. And for us, it's like a golden ticket, right? Because we're coming in from uh, Mumbai and you know uh, different parts of India. But India is you know for people who've been there, it's a love hate relationship. And for if you're an Indian, it's like yeah, okay, you know, it's good, but it's also there's a big classist society and everything else there. So we got this opportunity to move to Canada. And then when we got to Canada, I remember it was I think it was 2000, 2005 on the fourteenth of May. It's still, you know, it's still there like yesterday. And then, uh, you know, the next day I had a job waiting for me, which was basically going, going to sell door-to-door radio uh, at uh, for an Indian radio station. 
So I did that for about a, yeah, yeah, man. It's, 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 you know, that Russell Peters joke, which is there. The guy basically goes out, he comes out and he says, hey, you know, you know, the, the Chinese don't want to give a deal and the Indians definitely want to get a deal. So it was basically me going knocking on different doors, basically like strip malls or stores owned by uh, ethnically Indian uh, businessmen and asking for, for ads on radio as, as it sounds. So that's, that's what I did for a couple of years. And then, you know, moved on from there, moved to uh, HSBC, moved to Best Buy. And then, you know, in about 20, and then I moved to Australia for a couple of years. And I said, hey, look, you know, maybe I, I want to check out a different country and all that. But then I realized at the end of my stint in Australia, wait a second, like, you know, what I did in Australia isn't, isn't the be all and end all. I could probably be going to different countries, visiting different places if I just had my own business or if I was freelancing. Right. And then I and then I thought about, hey, let's start, let my, the first iteration of what I did was basically try to start like an online ad agency because my background was in PPC. I knew how the digital world worked. And I said, hey, let's try this out. However, I, I landed on a contract which basically had to do with e-commerce. And I said, wait a second, this is e-commerce. I was I was working for a big retail uh, retail uh, chain, chain store doing the digital marketing, which was Best Buy. And I said, wait a second. Why didn't it occur to me that I could be doing this and driving traffic for myself instead of driving traffic for other people? So lo and behold, you know, the watch brand was born. And I said, look, let's just let's just try this out. Let's give it a go and let's see how we do. And you know, about five or six years later, here we are. You know, we sell in about 55 different countries. We actually have a smaller footprint in Canada than we actually than I'd actually like. But yeah, this is where we are. Yeah, it's an interesting and I guess very natural sort of epiphany to have when you kind of start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. It's like, I'm driving traffic for this giant company and you, you understand the inner workings of driving traffic. Why not create something and then drive traffic to it as well? I mean, for, for the, the novice, the person listening who doesn't really understand what it takes to drive traffic. It sounds very simple. That's obviously not the case, right? I mean, learning qualified to, traffic. <laughs> yeah. It's like learning how to do that is take some time. Like, and you learned this just by doing trial and error. Yeah, hundred percent. Everything, everything is like making errors. But, but the, but the, I would say the luxury that I had was making the errors on somebody else's coin, right? So I, I whatever it was, it was corrected. I could look at people and I could like ask them for, 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 for feedback. And you know, people coming and saying, hey, this is not the way to do it. This is probably the proper way to do it. And that worked out, right? In the long run, it definitely did work out because when I was ready to start my business. I had all the learnings for, you know, doing about maybe like at that point, I maybe like five, five or six years of PPC and understanding how the inner working of search worked, right? Facebook, I had to learn, but Google search and, you know, shopping and all that kind of stuff. I definitely knew how that whole process worked, like like the back of my hand. I still like I still read up on Google search because I'm passionate about, you know, search traffic. It's like, you know, it's a it's lower funnel. It's more qualified. It's more, you know, it's more intent driven. Yeah. And then just so the audience understands, PPC is pay-per-click, correct? Yes, that is correct, sir. Yeah. So you were you were helping big brands basically drive traffic through paid advertising. Yeah, that that, that was my main goal. So yeah, my, my background is basically in paid ads. So it would be like, say, for example, if you ever want to have, look for like a, like a memory card and you go on Google memory card, if you ever see Amazon or Best Buy up there, it's basically Amazon and Best Buy's uh, agency, PPC agency, which is pay-per-click agency. Or somebody internally who's actually making sure that, you know, whenever these ads are being run, that you actually show these ads to the prospective customer. Yep. And then when you did come up with that idea, that thing that you were going to start, and it sounds like you you swung the bat on your first venture and it, it worked. I mean, that's kind of rare. You're kinda well, it's, of that sense. it's a bit scary, to be honest, because my first, remember, the first iteration I had was to start an ad agency, right? So it was basically like, 
trying to trying to get clients and trying to work with some people. I mean, in hindsight, one of the clients that I should have actually had, I mean, the guy basically, you know, our contact didn't go through, but if it would have, he actually uh, has one of the largest digital banks in Canada right now. So, you know, hindsight, whatever, whatever happens. But uh, that, the, but in the other way, you know, uh, 30 days in, I realized that maybe my, my strong suit wasn't, wasn't like dealing with people as much as I'd like. It was, I wasn't really into like listening to people and listening to their hoes and hums. And I said, look, maybe I want to be my own boss. Maybe I don't want to have the client relationship where I have to like, you know, uh, bend over backward and uh, capitulate to, 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 and be on somebody else's mercy so they, they can pay my bills. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, so that watches? was, yeah, why watches? Well, I think watches at that point in time, you know, there was this big, big fad for like companies like Movement and Kimono and everybody else uh, entering the space. And I'd seen, I'd seen a couple of Kickstarters online and I said, wait a second, I mean, whatever they're doing at Kickstarter, why can't I just go and have it manufactured here in Vancouver? So I started looking into getting this stuff manufactured in Vancouver. Turns out Canada is really expensive to manufacture watches. Next thing was... I said, hey, can we can we actually go to Alibaba and then source a few watch manufacturers and get them to send me samples? So we went to Alibaba, we 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 sourced a few watches. Turns out it's a pretty bloody expensive task because every time you want a design made, they have to they charge you for the mold. And to charge you for a mold, every time you're about five hundred dollars down. And if you even if you don't use them for manufacturing, you're still five hundred bucks down. And and then so by that time I've spent about five grand and I'm like, holy hell, this is this is turning out to be quite quite the expensive venture. But then I, then I found out that the world's biggest watch watch fair is in Hong Kong. And a ticket from Vancouver to Hong Kong is about 800 bucks Canadian. So in US dollars, about 500 US dollars. Uh, and I said, wait a second. If I, if I actually take the flight there, the, 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 the entry for the trade show is free. And I can actually go sleep at a buddy's house. I was, was going to go bunk at a, at a college, college, college buddy's house. And I said, I'm just going to come crash at yours. And... You know, I'll, I'll I'll figure my way out from there, and basically, so that's so that's so that's what I did. So then, just real quick to 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 get back to the watch idea. I mean, you just happened to like know know that watches were hot at the time, and that was yeah, that was it. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm under, the, I'm under the impression that you know watches and sunglasses have some of the biggest margins when it comes to sales. Yes, they do. They, they, the, the, margin, the margins on, you know, not to give too much away, but the margins on watches and sunglasses. I mean, if you have something like Ray-Bans, like if it costs you 100 bucks, I can tell you they don't cost more than 10 bucks to manufacture. So it's like 10x. For watches, it depends, right? So we are, if, if you're a D2C brand like we are, it depends on your ad costs. I mean, right now is a good time to be in the market to advertise it. But like if come, come Q4, you know, their margins, your margins will be lucky to make 200%. Because there's so many other people in the market, but like on a like on a on a on a good day, like four years ago when there was not as much competition, yeah, I mean we'd be making three to four hundred percent margin, no problems. So to go a little deeper, I mean, you had no real relationship to watches; you could care less. But you did have a relationship to one owning your own brand, starting something that you could sustain and grow and scale, and that was kind of it. That was it. Yes, my relationship was. I mean, and it's t- it holds true today. I mean, for us, we you know our business owns a portfolio of fifteen different e-commerce websites, right? It it isn't it it's it's like you create you create a framework that works, and you and you find businesses that you can apply it to, right? So if you have a framework and a team that works, so you have a dedicated customer support team, you have a dedicated operations team, you have a dedicated sourcing team. It does not matter what business you are. I I could be selling tables and you know furniture for all you know, but. What 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 matters is the principle behind of how you apply it. 
and I, I've read a little bit in your bio, like the the brand itself, you you really attach it to like wildlife with the watch brand I'm speaking of, um, with wildlife conservation and the other brands that you have under your umbrella. Are they do they kind of have the similar ethos? Most of the brands that uh, that we have, yes, and there, there's a reason behind it, right? It's like growing growing up in India. Our wildlife is, is next to non-existent. We don't have forests. We don't have like as much wildlife. I mean, we do have some, but that's the tigers and the sundarbans. But you know, they're also an endangered species. There's only about you know three to four thousand left. So when I so when I went to like Africa and I was living and you know through the journeys I went to Africa, saw saw you know the big five and all that kind of stuff, and I, it got me thinking about my home. And I said, look, there's all these things happening, and you know what people don't people don't realize is you know how precious. Uh, nature and wildlife is, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I don't know how to explain this to you. Like when I landed in Canada, uh, the first culture shock I had was seeing forests. So let that sink in for a bit. Like, yeah, I, I had never seen forests. Like it's India so densely populated and packed that, you know, to see a forest is next to impossible. So, so that was something I felt extremely passionate about. So that's what all our other brands are also focused on. Yes. Wow, that's really interesting. So yeah, you said fifteen brands under the umbrella, and and is the watch uh, company the biggest? The yeah, the watch company is the flagship. Yes, the watch company is the, the the flagship. So the even if so 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 for now, for example, you know we we're going through this uh, COVID, uh, you know issues with COVID and this pandemic globally. But the reason why this portfolio we've kept this portfolio, and the reason why it's worked out for us is like for example, the watch brand, for example, right now is doing about forty percent uh, decrease in sales year over year. Because, of course, it's a luxury item and what you want are necessities. But we also have some uh, uh, websites in the digital portfolio where we're selling servers, we're selling, we're selling uh, uh, things that actually enhance uh, remote working for, for bigger companies and SMEs and companies which are actually not, not even uh, ready for it, right? So that's actually, so that portfolio of companies is up about 50%. So in the end, if, if things happen, Right, the portfolio ends up balancing itself out. So we actually, as a business, we are not actually hit. We are up about ten to fifteen percent year over year in terms of our sales. And sorry, you said SaaS products or some of the other ones? Yes, SaaS and uh, it, it mostly related to like uh, uh, you know servers. So actually getting you to the cloud, migrating you guys to the cloud. Oh, oh uh, you know, okay. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, take yeah. a feather out of the hat of Richard Branson having multiple companies. So if one goes to shit, you have you know fourteen others. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may may as well keep your keep your bets a little hedged, right? You don't want to have you don't. Yeah, I mean, uh, mo- most people say you know have one, put put everything into it and see how it goes. I thought it might be a good idea to actually balance the portfolio of companies because we had a system and we said, look, why don't we actually extrapolate it and see what all of the business can 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 fit into that? How many employees do you have? About uh, right now, twenty five. And do they all? like work on all the businesses or are they are broken up for each business? Everybody works on all the businesses. It's, it's basically, so we'll have, we'll have a team leader, uh, a manager for each business. And it is the manager's job to drive the most amount of traffic, the most amount of revenue per business. So it's up to them how they use the people, right? So they get a dedicated team of, so they'll have like, maybe like a cup, the customer support team is always shared. So they're that, that's an easy thing. The ops, uh, is is shared because that's an easy thing. The, the sourcing is shared. That's an easy thing. Design, uh, dev is shared. Uh, the parts that are not shared is because you want to have uh, particular lines for uh, for your for your uh, for your traffic. So like pay per click will be different. SEO will be different because you know you want a person who's very niched out, knows that industry very very well, and have those guys focus on it. And of course, you need a manager up top, right? So you need somebody 
who understands the business, understands the industry, and of course, you give them goals, and the goals are to achieve as much revenue as possible within the next calendar year. Do you see yourself adding more businesses to this umbrella? Of course. I mean, right now is a great time. It's a great opportunity for us. I mean, we're out, we out looking out right now in different in different, uh, different businesses to actually acquire. So we actually are in talks with about two or three other businesses, mainly competitors, so that we can actually acquire them who are not doing so well during this time. Mm. And for Call it opportunities, dude. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? Big opportunity for a lot of people. With, uh, it sounds like with a system like yours, you can just, it's a plug and play. Yeah, and that's what it was meant to be. I mean, from day one, I wanted it to be like that. And the, the thought process behind it is, you know, you, you create a system and you're not sick to the product. So, uh, you know, yeah, I love watches. Uh, I, am I really passionate about watches? Got to be living it in and out, you know? Ah, I, I, I'm not sick about it. I mean, am I, am I passionate about chairs? No, I don't care. But if, if I see that chairs, I could take, you know, chair brand and 10 exit in the next five years. Yeah, for sure. I'm very passionate about that. So then within... You know, our original start of this conversation, you're talking about having the, the different locations around the world. Like, do you have all those like little homes in place that you own or you rent? Um, what's that? Look yeah, like? yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So uh, all three places. Uh, so for, uh, Thailand and Vancouver, uh, we own. And for uh, Berlin or Porto, Porto, the reason I said Porto was because my partner, she she has a Port- she's, she's on her way to get a Portuguese citizenship. And if she gets it, then we'll probably end up buying some property in like another Lisbon or Porto. But however, my heart still belongs to Berlin. So if we go there, we'll probably end up uh, renting there. And what about Mumbai? Like, do you have a <laughs> house? No, man. I, so uh, here, here's a funny thing. We have a family house there for sure. But but the thing is, when you become a Canadian citizen, so we have to give up Indian. We have to give up Indian ties. So legally, we're not allowed to own any property there. Oh no, that's kind yeah. of sucky. Yeah, I know, but it's it's done. It's done for a reason because us Indians, we are really good at dodging taxes. So, <laughs> so, so, so the government actually did the right thing. Trust me on this one. Yeah, yeah, but I can imagine with the network of people that you have at your disposal now that you probably position yourself pretty well to minimize your tax responsibility uh we have man honestly pay your taxes like never never ever run away from taxes i think like for for me personally it's a it's an extremely it's an extremely important thing for me to pay taxes in canada because of how much the country's given to me over the last like 15 years right they gave me the opportunity to start a business it was so easy uh you know it's opportunities galore like when 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 as an indian when my mom, I remember her telling me, she said, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. It's, you're going to make something of yourself. And I said, you know, what am I going to make something of myself? And now I understand what she meant 15 years later. And, you know, uh, I have a lot of uh, love and a lot of uh, respect uh, for for my new home. So, you know, can't really, can't really uh, devoid it of, uh, you know, can't really devoid the, the, the general population of any taxes. Yeah. yeah, I'm not ever advising people to, like, try to not pay their taxes, but I think there is ways that you can do it in a legal, responsible way. I mean, if, you know, I'm not residing in the country that I'm supposed to be taxes in, like, why would I pay taxes there? You know, if I don't have to kind of thing, you know, like a lot of people are using Tbilisi, Georgia as a place that they can have their residency and then minimize their tax responsibility. So yeah, I'm not saying just stop paying or, you know, fuck taxes, but I think there's ways to to keep a lot of the hard, you know, hard-earned income that you have coming in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, that that part I definitely understand. It's like it's uh it's it's basically like 
what what you're suggesting is I'm completely on board with it. Like you know, you keep you keep what you have, right? That you don't need to you don't need to overly go over and above, like pay thirty percent extra tax. That's not really what you want. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still running a business, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. What prior to moving to Canada was your life like back in Mumbai? You mentioned that you had moved as an adult, so I'm assuming you had a full time job in Mumbai. Yes, yes, I actually did. So my my job was so. I was working. I was working at an ad agency back then, an agency called Ogilvy. So I used. So my clients were basically like guys like Procter and Gamble, and I was working for another company called Hutch, Hutch which is a subsidiary of Hudson Wampur from uh, from Hong Kong. So so those were my two big clients. So I used to work there, and to an extent, you know, my, my, uh, our background was sort of uh, middle class or upper middle class in the sense that you know my father was in the army. He was posted in different, maybe about three hours away at a at an army base, and you know. My mom was a housewife and, you know, we had all the luxuries we needed, right? So there was somebody who came to cook. There was somebody who came to clean and, you know, in India, labor, labor is definitely cheap. So we had a, uh, a privileged, a privileged life in India. And, you know, so, you know, to, uh, an outset of uh, a fallout of that, like to this day for me in Canada, I mean, you guys can laugh at me for this. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't assemble the Ikea furniture in the house. I'm not a handyman. Like we had, you had people to come and do all the handy, you know, uh, how to, What's called how to find how to find the the bar in the drywall? Like I don't know how to do that stuff, man. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't way. Don't feel bad. I don't either. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> Apparently, there's a beeping thing you have, and you can actually find it. I don't, I, I need one of those, like you know, hey, I'm 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 a dummy. Please help me out with finding a, <laughs> the drywall stand. But yeah, but it was but it was amazing. But you know, when you come to Canada, the, the th- but but having said that, remember this: Asian societies in general. From the time that we are born till the time that we, you know, till the time that we get married or so on and so forth, our life is planned by our parents. You know, who are we going to marry, arrange marriage, uh, you know, where are we going to go to school, what our vocation is going to be, you know, uh, doctor, lawyer, engineer. All that stuff is planned from day one by your, by your parents. And the one thing that the West, I can understand, and having lived in both cultures, is that in the West, it's okay to make those mistakes. You are given the you're given different choices. Go make your own choices. Go make your own screw ups. Go make your own decisions that you have to live by, and that's fine. You know, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna judge you for it. Whereas in India or like any Asian society, I'm pretty sure it's like, oh wow, you know, oh my God, he he took arts and then he failed. Oh no, you know, it's it's like this uh, this uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's like it's Kind of like, you know, you lose, it's like your face, you're going to lose face if you don't do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind me asking, what about the relationship you have now? Is that arranged? No, no, not at all. My, my, my partner's from, she's from Hong Kong. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's complete. Yeah. Complete, completely, completely different. Yeah. So even like, for example, I had to go and introduce, uh, you know, my partner to my, to my parents or my girlfriend, like to my parents, you know, uh, uh, three years ago, it was for me a little difficult. I was like, you know, so I had to ease it in with my dad and then with my mom and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, three years later, it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's good. And it also helps that my cousins also, you know, on that same thing, uh, on that, uh, you know, they, that they have uh, intercultural marriages or, the, you know, they have intercultural relationships. So it kind of helps, you know, it helps the cause. Absolutely. I, I'm a little bit interested to hear uh, what it was like for your parents to sort of adopt your partner into the family and, and I guess overlook the, the cultural norms that you just described, you know, where it's like, they've obviously that's been so ingrained in them and you're the first one to like come with a, 
partner that they didn't choose? Like that must have been really hard for him. Oh, actually, it, I think my, uh, I, I was most scared about my mom. My dad usually, you know, I think most likely in, in all other places, your dad's usually the most chill ones, right? So, uh, so but, but, but my mom is a, is a, is a substance, substance abuse and drugs addictions counselor. I'm pretty sure over having lived 10 years in Canada, she's seen everything worse than that. So, but, you know, culturally it was, yeah, it was initially it was like, you know, Wait and watch, see how it goes. Is this a fling? You know, all those kind of questions. But, you know, guess what? It wasn't. So, you know, now uh, my, my partner, she, she, she's learned how to cook all the food that my mom makes, all the Indian food that I like. And it's, you know, it's usually good to have that. So, <laughs> yeah, man, that was very important for me. Top of my list, it was like, can you cook more food like my mom does? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Real I know about your mom's business. Um, now, so you're talking about you were literally living Vancouver proper or were you living out on the island, Victoria? No, no, I was living in Vancouver proper. So maybe about uh, maybe uh, from the city center, maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes away by Skytrain. So a place called New Westminster. Okay. I only asked my ex-girlfriend's father was also in the same field as your mother. And you know how the world works. It's like... They probably know each other. Small world, yeah. So that's why I asked. But um, going back to your company, uh, Branzio, how did you come up with that name? Oh, uh, you want you 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 laugh at me if I tell you the story. <laughs> basically, I read somewhere that if you want to have a watch brand, if you want to have a, uh, anything to do with lux- uh, like luxury items, you, you should pick up you should pick up like a like an Italian name. So I googled all the Italian names and I did a domain search at some with some Italian name, and one of the domains that was available was Branzio. The other one was Kalipsky. So there we go. Those are the only two. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's go with Branzio. Let's see how, what it is. Interesting. Was there something you were more drawn to when you, when you said that out loud, Branzio versus Kalipsky? Because they're both pretty cool. Yeah, but one was just easier to remember. So I actually did a Google <laughs> survey. Of, yeah, I did a Google survey, literally a Google survey of it, asking people what is more memorable. And it turns out Branzio was much more memorable on it. So. Yeah, I said, okay, let, this is it. This is what we're going to go with. I mean, one one of the guys I met earlier uh, this year is a guy who started a company called Native Deodorants, uh, and he sold it to P&G for I think hundred million dollars. Pretty cool guy. And I and I asked him, I asked him about it. I said, what is your domain name? Is it native.com or something? He says, no, it's Native Deodorants, like the whole word.com. And I said, what? As he says, yeah. He says my budget was ten dollars. That's all I wanted to pay for my domain. And he says that's what we went with. That was it. And I said, wow, this guy, this guy knows. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you have been very systematic in, in how you've approached your, your brand building and you've asked your um, audience for their input a lot. Is that kind of what I'm understanding? Well, yeah. I mean, you're, the, you, if, if you want feedback about your brand, what you do, how you do it, you know, and, and you know, you, of course, we always have self-doubt as entrepreneurs and, you know, the, the best people to ask are your customers. And lately what I've been doing is actually because I have some time and, you know, business is a little slower for, for Brandio. It's like actually calling up Brandio customers, asking them what they like about the product, what they don't like about the product. What is it? What, what is the feedback they have for me? What can we do better? And actually, one of the things I actually found out that is our, our biggest USB that we give in the market is that we have a 24-7, 365 uh, uh, customer support line. Right. So no matter what time you email in, our customer support's always on it. They'll, they'll get back to you within an hour. And that was something I never knew. It's like, wow, that's, you know, it makes, it makes you a little happy to hear that. Why would you need that kind of customer service for a watch? Like, are people, like, not knowing how to, like, wind it? Like, what are they asking? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, pe- people ask, like, weird questions, man. It's like, I mean, I hate to say that. It's like, you know, how, 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 how do I make the watch operate? How do I change the, how do I operate the chrono? How do I, uh, how do I uh, change the date? 
You know, what if it's a February? How do I how do I forward it from February to March? What if it's a leap year? So these are like, how do I change? So we have the uh, class springs in the back. Like, how do I change the springs? I mean, there's a manual for it, but however, people don't feel comfortable with it. So we have all these questions. That's really cool, man. I mean, I, I like I like your charisma, your attitude. It's very positive, very energetic. I mean, is this you just, am I just catching you in the morning? Or are you like this all the way through the day? Oh, any, you can, you can ask anybody in our circles and they'll tell you the same thing. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy here. There's always a lot of energy. It's always go, go, go. Okay, cool. Are you uh, like a casual partier or are you just like straight and arrow somebody who's focused only on business? No, man. I used to, so I had, a, I had a couple of years. Uh, so last year I went, I was completely dry. So no, not even a drop of alcohol. But the year before I was definitely partying a lot. So, but the thing is, I had a lot more fun when I was sober because I had, I was, yeah, because of high energy, I don't need the alcohol, but I would definitely, uh, you know, get up in the morning and be ready to go focus on the business, focus on different things. Uh, and I had, the, I had fun, uh, you know, fun with all the friends and everybody else the night before. So yeah, right now I think I'm gonna I'm trying to keep it to wine and only on the weekends. So maybe like Sunday Sunday wine session or something. But you know, in, in isolation with what's been happening right now, and you know, having a new house and all that. So I usually have people over once once a week, and you know, get on the piss because it's hard, man. It's like you need you need company. As as I don't know how you are coping, but you know, uh, what I've and I'm an, I'm an extremely extroverted person. So w- what this. Uh, what this time in our lives has taught me is to appreciate, you know, human touch, hugs, handshakes a lot more. And, you know, uh, the company of other people a lot more than anything else. I don't know. What, what do you think about it? We are doing it the exact same way here in uh, Costa Mesa, California with my housemate where it's, uh, yeah, once a week we, we have, you know, friends over casually, um, drinks, um, maybe some mushrooms just to kick the night off. And, uh, yeah. Um, we are obviously trying to be respectful of everybody else and, and, uh, but at the same time live our lives, you know? So if people are interested in coming and sharing a laugh and a drink, like they're welcome to come over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I got, a, I got a question for you. You mentioned mushrooms. Is it like psilocybins? Like, uh, is it like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a lot of people I talk to usually say, Hey, you should, you should try it out. And I've actually never done it because I'm not usually good with, <laughs> I'm not even good with weed, man. That's how bad I am. <laughs> No, you know what? I'm not either. Like, I don't like weed because of my first experience. I became very paranoid. Uh, mushrooms out of, until recently, the first like five mushroom trips I had, uh, four out of five were absolutely horrible, like full bad trips. Um, what I'm doing now is just microdosing. I, I don't take the caps. I only take the stems and I'll only take, you know, like a couple. So it's, it's a little, a little bit of energy, no visual, um, not even really a body high. And, that's great. Like I'm enjoying that. And oh wow! So, you know when I say mushrooms, like everyone's like, "Oh, he's tripping." It's like no, like I'm just microdosing, and I will say like because I do like my booze that you know I'll wake up the next day and I will be less depressed <laughs> about my uh, my consumption, you know, and in my life situation right now, and like feel like less of a piece of shit because um, I should I should have been working, you know, instead of you know drinking that much. So for me, it's kind of a nice little, not antidote, but a way of yeah, just getting through this time with friends and then waking up after a little bit of a, a little bit too much to drink and not feeling so bad about myself. 
Why? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really uh, interesting perspective to it because mo- most likely most people are like, hey, bro, try some ships. Man, I, I don't know why, right? But now I understand why. And I appreciate you giving, giving me a, your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, no worries, man. I, cause I can relate, dude. Like, I don't smoke weed and the whole hallucinogenic thing was always terrifying to me because of the, the, the trips I'd had, had. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of somebody who goes all in if I'm going to try something, which when I think it comes to drugs like that, and maybe you, you realize that you're not necessarily somebody who's, uh, capable of dealing with, di- with it. Like the microdosing is a pretty interesting way to do it, you know? Yeah. I think I might, I might give it a go because it's like, People are just like, let go, let go. I'm like, what do you mean, let go, man? <laughs> I'm a type of personality. What do you mean, let go? I'm not going to bloody let go. It's bloody hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Letting go is hard for me as well. Um, as Just if you don't mind me asking, with COVID thing, uh, being in Thailand, um, how do you feel Thailand's really dealt with it in the sense of like, oh, what am I trying to say here? Like the people in America, I feel like have gone a little bit overboard and crazy with this whole thing it's it's very unfortunate and it's dangerous in the way in the sense that you know it, you can unknowingly um be the the person who's carrying it asymptomatic and spread it but i feel like a lot of the behavior i see around me is fear-based and paranoia based um so my question to you is like do you see that same kind of response um, in Thailand and the people in Thailand who are dealing with this as well, or are people still kind of going about their lives in a more quasi-normal way? Well, people are going going about their lives in a quasi-normal way, right? I mean, you have to understand, I mean, Thailand is actually one of the hardest rate economies because, you know, there's about six to seven million people who've been laid off because it's so dependent on tourism. Uh, yeah, so that's that's a downside. The upside is, you know, there's curfews here from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., I think. So you know you don't go out from those times, which is fair. What they what they want you to they want to limit your interaction at bars and pubs and all that. So all bars and pubs are closed. Only thing open are supermarkets at the moment. Uh, but still, man, people are like pretty respectful. Everybody has to uh, usually wears a mask when they go outside, right? M- most likely, uh, I think there's there's a there's a little bit of differentiation on that. You know what I've heard about like what's Fauci or uh, the Surgeon General of the U.S. who basically said, you know, you don't need to wear masks and they don't prevent anything. They don't prevent it, but if you have it, if you have some symptoms, you know, you basically, if you, you know, you're protecting others from wearing a mask. Uh, but in terms of, you know, it's it's life as usual. There, are, there is, I, I have, uh, they've, they've taken it pretty well. And I think in about another uh, two weeks, Thailand will be back open for tourism. It's business as usual. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just going to take a while to recover because I, it's going to be the same globally, right? It's like uh, people. But I have to give it to the country. People have been extremely respectful to each other. Uh, they, they, there's been, you know, people people do uh, sort of call out uh, farangs, which is basically foreigners, a little bit if they don't wear masks because it's not in the culture to wear masks. Uh, but, you know, I've only read about it online. I haven't seen it uh, uh, first person. So what about like... Um... In the supermarkets, are they just buying everything in hoarding? No, there is there is no hoarding here. That man, that that thing of uh, I don't know what that uh, that. So the the mentality. So even the the government's basically come out and call call people out. They said if we find you hoarding a lot of stuff, if you're a hoarder, then you know you're not welcome in this country. You're gonna go straight to jail. Sorry about that. And you know, uh, but why why do you need to hoard? Like that that mentality. I don't know why is that such a like a 
man, I, I hate to I hate to use this term, but it's like is is it a North American mentality like in Canada or uh, the U.S. Because you know, if you start holding, then what's left for other people then? Like, where, where's the where's the conscious of to, towards society and everybody else? Yeah, no, I brought it up in past episodes, and I'm not trying to call it any Americans listening or people who um, are very fearful of the coronavirus, because obviously we all have loved ones who could be severely affected by this. What I'm all what I've said in past episodes is I I notice a a real fear mongering in the media in America that I don't see in the other cultures that I frequent. You know, and I don't understand Thai, so I mean I'm not going deep into their media, but I can see it in the faces of the locals when I'm there. Um, it just, I just don't feel like it's the same. Would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's, yeah, the fear mongering. Yeah. So uh, I don't know how much you watch, watch the news. I've turned off all notifications about COVID on, off my phone. Don't really care. Uh, you know, it's uh, what I, what I, what I care is like where I would focus my business, the opportunities, the opportunities. There's a lot of sites for sale. There's a lot of people that are affected by, you know, even the Amazon affiliate uh, rate cuts. There's a lot of other things going on. So my focus is to focus on that, uh, in my business, uh, growth, uh, you know, having a good life and, you know, talking to great people like yourself. So that is my focus. My focus is not on fear mongering. I love it. I love it, Ronnie. Yeah, this has been rad, dude. I really appreciate it. So Branzio is your watch brand. Do you have any other, um, companies you'd like to shout out right now so that people can check out? Oh, no, it's okay. We Usually we just go at Branzio and it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sweet. Well, if you could talk to then one audience member who's listening to this, your story, uh, you know, maybe is an immigrant um, in the U.S. And, and hasn't quite found their footing yet in the entrepreneurial space, um, or maybe even is fearful of starting that first business. Can you give them some advice, words of wisdom, some inspiration to maybe kick them in the yeah, butt and get them going? For sure. You know, jump in with both feet. And, you know, for, for yourself, for you, you you know, you owe it to yourself to take a chance on you, right? Uh, if you don't take a chance on yourself, nobody else is. Not your parents, not your brother, sister, nobody else. You owe it to yourself to take a chance on you. I love it, Ronnie. Thank you so much. We love you and appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Thank you, Ronnie. I appreciate you, your time. I wish you all the best and all the multiple ventures I know you're going to continue to start. Again, folks, please hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening to this on. You can find Misfits and Rejects on iTunes, Spotify, any podcast player on any Android or Apple phone. And if you really like Misfits and Rejects and you want to support Misfits and Rejects, please head over to MisfitsandRejects.com backslash shop and pick up a t-shirt. Or you can head over to patreon.com backslash misfits and rejects and give a monthly donation, whatever it may be. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. Thank you so much for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to misfits and rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself. If you're unhappy with where you're at in life, I hope these people that, I interview, inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>